Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, not one, but two unbelievably hilarious guests, former writer on Saturday Night Live and just hilarious comedian, Dan Licata, and from Joe Para Talks to You, another hilarious comedian, Joe Para are here, both Buffalo born, and this is a good one. I cannot wait for you to hear it. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at left for Damien. There is a Turned Out of Punk YouTube channel which has uh, a few little documentaries I've made, and uh, they will continue to be made. You can find that over at youtube.com slash at turned out a punk. And you can subscribe to those and do what you do. If you want to support the show, other than doing that stuff, uh, subscribe to this and rate it. Uh, I, I play in a band. We're called Fucked Up. You can find out more information about us over at fuckedup.cc. We have a brand new record dropping very soon at the end of the month. Uh, it's called One Day, and I'm very, very excited for you to hear it. Um, yeah, I know it's weird. Talk- I hate I hate talking about myself and the, and the band stuff and the music stuff that I do, but but I am really proud of this record, and uh, yeah, it really feels like an overshare in the lyrics. <laughs> but too late now. Oh boy, but you can find out more information over at fuckedup.cc, fuckedup.cc. And also get Oberon on on Scotty Karate's Tank Crime Records, Tank Crimes Records. And they've got a big anniversary uh, thing coming up. February 1st is Tank Crimes Day, and you can find out more information over at tankcrimesrecords.com. Sorry, I'm getting texts from Mike. His ears must have been burning. Anyways, as I said off the top, two hilarious comedians are here today. From Joe Para Talks to You, Joe Para, an unbelievably hilarious comedian as well, Dan Licata, former writer of Saturday Night Live. Well, one of the writers of Saturday Night Live. He wasn't writing the whole show. Uh, but uh, this, is a, this is a great one. This is a really fun conversation with two very funny people. Talk Buffalo. We talk. Anyway, I'm not going to ramble on too much about the show. You'll, you'll hear it in a second, but. It's fun. Uh, We are plagued a little bit by audio issues in this episode. I got to apologize. Goddamn Wi-Fi connectivity sometimes. And, uh, but we make the best of it and it works. You'll hear. Joe Parra is going to be going on tour. The tour resumes. Uh, Comedians in Ice is the name of the tour. And I believe Dan Licata is still on these shows as the opening act. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Comedy and Ice, sorry, Winter Stand-Up Tour 2023. It will be hitting the Lincoln Center this January 12th, this week, and then continues on from there. You can find out more information over at joepara.com. And there are tickets available for some of the shows. Some of the shows are selling out, uh, so grab your tickets for that. And once again, I really do hope Dan Licata is on that. I went to Dan Licata's page, and I got it, my computer wouldn't let me go to it. It's it's uh, corrupted. So, Dan, I, uh, fix, fix the page. Um, and hopefully that gets fixed and then check out Dan Licata's page, check it out anyway. And if it tells you not to go to it, don't go to it, but set a bookmark and then just keep, keep rechecking it. And then one day it'll be back on and you can go see it. 
Uh, as I said, off, as I keep saying, uh, there's some great stories in this episode. Uh, there, there, there's some really great stories. Hopefully both these guys will be back for part twos, uh, spoiler. And, uh, that's it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Joe Para and Dan Licata on Turned Out a Punk. Dan and Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much, dude. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having us. You got us. It's an honor to have you here. Sorry, I think uh, maybe let's try it without the video. Sorry, guys. I think the I think the lag is pretty severe. Okay. 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 Two. This is a a weird illustration of my wife and I because I use her Zoom account. I'm not very pro with this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, we can so we can see. It says Lauren. Yeah, your wife's name. <clears throat> it's very nice of her. Let's you use her laptop for the for the show. Well, it's my laptop, but uh, I do use her Zoom account. She is a little more organized than I am. I don't think I've ever been able to buy a plane ticket online, or I'm very much a a, a lead singer in all the worst ways. So when you go on tour, she she buys all your plane tickets. No, that's when my tour uh, wife, i.e., the rest of my band, takes care of me and <laughs> buys all the plane tickets. <laughs> wow, I I. I lack all ability when it comes to being a functional adult. I'm a true lead singer in every sense of it. But this is not about me. This is about the two of you. And I got to start this show the way they all start off, which is Dan and Joe, how'd you get in a punk? But because there's two of you, I have picked a number between one and 10. And the person who picks closest will go first. So, uh, Dan, what is your number? Uh, I'm going to play it safe and go with six. All right, Joe, what is your number? Two. You're going to have to take my word for it. It is five and I've written it down. So I'm going to say, Dan, you're the closest. How'd you get in a punk? When was the first time you came across the genre? Um, I mean, to be honest, I, I can't overstate how much the, uh, Tony Hawk pro skater soundtracks and, the show Jackass really shaped my musical taste. I think like, you know, the Tony Hawk games came out when I was like 10, 11, same with Jackass. And that's when like, I heard like, (laughs) you know, the dead Kennedys and adolescents for the first time were like on those games. And yeah, I remember like Kazaa and uh, LimeWire were big at the time. So, you know, you could just very easily, illegally download any song that you heard on TV and, uh, or in a video game. And yeah, it was, it was a, it was a great time for, uh, illegal file sharing, the, uh, the, the mid 2000s. <laughs> it was when all music became yeah, free. As, you know, as our founding fathers wanted it to be. Um, and then, <laughs> and then I don't know what age I bought a I bought a copy of uh, American Hardcore and they had that like appendix in the back with like every every band and just like their full discography and then yeah I would just go on LimeWire and download as much as I could or if it was something more obscure you could just type in the name of the album and Blogspot into Google and you could usually find like a a zip or a rare file of it and mostly. And uh, you're showing off. I don't even. I still don't know how to open a rare file. <laughs> you gotta. You gotta get. Some, <laughs> you gotta get a, a program called UnRareX, and uh, it'll it'll unpack the file for you. 
It's very. I'll, I'll teach you how to do it later. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> It, it truly was a amazing time for music because like you're saying all this stuff that previously you could just you know sometimes just read about was accessible like we all had access through this illegal file sharing thing to every song yeah. ever and a lot of times they would be mislabeled like you know, <laughs> yeah. i'm trying to, yeah. I, can't, I can't remember how many songs that i thought uh were weird al that were actually just like very offensive in hindsight, like either homophobic yeah. or something. And I was like, man, I didn't realize Weird Al was so homophobic. And then, like years later, it's like, oh no, that was not actually him. <laughs> I think mean, you must have had a very different opinion of poor Weird Al. Yeah, yeah. Back then, based on <laughs> there's a there's somebody who was uploading fake Weird Al tracks. Yeah, and um... <laughs> no, have, have you? Have you ever heard the How Weird Stern record where Howard Stern did his attempt at being Weird Al back oh, in the no, 80s? no, I've never heard of this. It, it, it's kind of like if Weird Al worked oh, blue. That does sound awesome. <laughs> uh, it's a 50 Ways to Beat Your Lover, I think, was the the single off it. And it was a, a an ode to BDSM. Oh, man. Amazing. Wow. I'm going to definitely go, uh, download a rare file of that album as soon as we're done here. <laughs> what if somebody came in on um, what America's Got Talent and said, Howard, I'd love to sing a song off of your <laughs> parody album? <laughs> that's, t- <laughs> that's, that's what someone's got to do. Like, that's why I wish I could really hold a tune because I would just want to do stuff like that. Oh, man. Go on America. <laughs> I would be my first thing if I had talent. I would go on America's Got Talent. We have Canada's Got Talent, and if you think America's Got Talent's bleak, you got to look up north. Man, I'm already thinking of uh, some some really great parodies of sitting on the dock of the bay. Hey, I'm not going to say the title that I'm thinking of right now. You can fill in the blanks at home, but man, some real missed opportunities for Howard Stern's album if he didn't already use that song. Well, because you guys are both upstate New York dudes, right? Like, Dan, you're from Buffalo, and Joe, you're from Buffalo. How much Canadian culture were you guys taking in growing up? Because, like, we we do kind of – we're so close. A lot. I don't think <clears> – I didn't realize until I – I think I even – yeah, I think it was only when I moved to New York City that I realized that everybody in the U.S. didn't get CBC and – <laughs> watched that like they, nobody knew what hockey night in canada was or uh red and green show yeah very few people <laughs> happen to know <laughs> red green <laughs> i i would say i don't know i don't, i wouldn't say he was a huge influence on my comedy <laughs> but it's definitely in there and if i told a lot of people that red green had an impact on my stand up they would have no idea what i was talking about i never thought i would have an appreciation for red green but through you i have gained an appreciation for that thing because that was just so overbearing like canadian comedy obviously we have kids in the hall and scdv on one side but on the other side as you know getting access to this culture stuff. It's, it's not all SCTV up here. Yeah. Well, I, I just remember I was like eight or nine and he did this. He put like a, a piece of timber through a, like a station wagon. 
so that the station wagon could rotate and you wouldn't have to parallel park. I oh, that was pretty great as like an eight or nine year old. <laughs> oh. Well, uh, Joe, how did uh, you get in the park? Yeah, I mean uh, that's right. I mean that's kind of why I I thought it'd be fun to, to do this with Dan, not only because we uh, were on tour together now, but also because like Dan was the one who kind of introduced me to it. We would he had. Very good CD burning technology, which was a big deal when we were in early high school, and would burn uh, CDs for me. Kind of, uh, I don't know, put stuff like the replacements on CD, and that was like the first time that I heard stuff like that before. I would love to find like the full CD to find out exactly like the full. Uh, tracks uh, that were on there but it was i remember being like wow you don't hear this on classic rock radio yeah you know it's amazing how like it, you know now it feels, it feels so quaint right Be, but at the time like having someone that had a cd burner so you could get these tracks it's like it it was the last vestige of needing a friend to hook you up with stuff in terms of music or culture or comedy movies, whatever. Yeah. It was nice. And then I don't know, I guess it common theme throughout our friendship was I always like kind of mellow music. And, uh, but there's always lots of instances where Dan was like, I'm going to see a show. You want to come along or, um, um he was listening to a certain thing and, you know, share it cause we were roommates for a while. So it was really like Dan that kind of like, when I ended up at a wild show or something like that, it was uh, it, it was due to him uh, allowing me to tag along. I, I like I'm really uh, you know obviously a huge fan of of Buffalo hardcore and, and Buffalo music in general, but it feels like that period. Well, I guess every time I die was like every time I die the big band when you were kind of getting into it, Dan. Yeah, I never so much got into every time I die. Um, I know Brown Sugar. I'm just being like terms of being the big local band. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no, um, I don't know if you know Brown Sugar. They were like a big band from Buffalo. Really, really great hardcore band. Um, uh, I my so like basically we're like connecting the dots here. Uh, you know, I was Joe's like intro into punk, but then my friend Nick Reynolds, who's in a lot of like. Uh, great Buffalo punk bands was kind of like, you know, neither of us have older brothers, which I feel like it's like a way that you know you can find out about cool cool stuff and cool music. So yeah. you know, Nick Reynolds was like my surrogate older brother and would like you know tell me about a bunch of lo- local bands. I believe yeah, um, there's one called like Skate Corpse that was also we we liked a lot. And uh, Nick Reynolds is like a really. Um, incredible songwriter like uh he's in this two-piece band called space wolves that um isn't really punk but it's like very it's like kind of lo-fi surfy garage pop i would say but like you know um it's he's such an incredible songwriter multi-instrumentalist and um like it, it definitely isn't punk music but uh you know, it's very punk inspired. And yeah, I forget why I brought him up. <laughs> I forget what your question was. But, uh, 
Yeah, sorry. What was your question, Damien? Well, I think it was just more like in terms of like kind of getting a gauge of what Buffalo was like. Because I think, you know, like right now, I think we're experiencing a bit of a Buffalo renaissance, you know, in terms of a lot of cool stuff's happening there, it seems. And, and uh, you know, maybe it's because I haven't been there in a while and I'm just like really nostalgic for going back. But it, it always seems like a city that has like a constant stream of cool bands from it. Like obviously the, yeah. the Google dolls kind of like wave the flag the, the highest, but there's like, there's just like a, such a history of. Would you say they're a major inspiration for fucked up? <laughs> uh, the first two records, the punk records, definitely. <laughs> nice. Well, <that's> cool. <laughs> the, the later stuff, the later stuff, not so much, but. <laughs> I would love to hear fucked up cover Iris. I think that would really, I mean, well, if, if you want, I, I'll, I'll give you a couple bars after we stop recording. <laughs> <and after you. laughs> for the fans. For the fans. No. There for was, the fans, exactly. I remember, like, the cool teachers at our time at that time and some, like, cousins. It was, like, there's, I remember them all going to Tragically Hip concerts when they came through town. Like, if you want to talk about the Canadian connection, I think Buffalo also felt the Tragically Hip uh, yeah, wave. There was a lot of like, yeah, most people in our in our high school were into like jam bands and stuff, oddly. And like I remember once this teacher, <laughs> this English teacher, he like turned out the lights, played a Dave Matthews band song, turned the lights back on and said, Okay, write a poem. And it was like, yeah. <laughs> What? And I'm sure I sure I wrote a very angry, violent poem because it was like what the hell? How the hell does this guy have pain? But um, yeah, it was that was like kind of what we were surrounded by, and I always, I always hated, hated it. But um, we mentioned the Google Dolls. Do you remember that one? All right, so we had this one assembly, um, and they were teasing like this celebrity guest that was going to be there at the end of the week. Do you remember this? And it was like I think so. It, the rumor mill started and I think it got to like, it got so big that they were, they were like dropping hints throughout the week. And I think people were like, it's definitely going to be Jay-Z. Jay-Z <laughs> and then they, we get to the assembly and then they're like, all right, are you guys ready for the special celebrity guest? Everyone's like going nuts. And they're like, all right, give it up for Robbie Takak. And then no one knew who it was. And they had to be like the bassist from Goo Goo Dolls. And he came out and everyone was like, you know, he probably got it, did not get the response he deserved, but you know, he's no Jay Z. No, I mean, no he's no, no. Jay Z. No, he's sitting back there like, why am I doing this? <laughs> like, this is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to do this. I thought you guys were gonna. I thought you were gonna say you guys went to the school where they did that surprise Goo Goo Dolls show that MTV showed. Did you ever see that? That was a private school. They they sick. Oh. Hey, right. I think it was St. Joe's or oh. one of the. I th I think it was one of the the Catholic schools. Yeah, we only got one of the two. Yeah, we went to a public Damn. school, but it was. I mean, yeah, they, oh, sorry. No, no, no. I was going to say he's not singing for free. No, definitely not. I was just going to say Robbie taking as did, did like do a lot of good arts supporting in the in, in Buffalo. He helped out a lot of bands and like was really proactive. So to you know, jokes about Iris are fine, but also like the guy does deserve some respect for like really supporting the local music scene and stuff like that. 
hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, 100%. and those first two records, I, I I ride for those Metal Blade records. Yeah, I've never done. I've never dealt in, but yeah, I really, I really should check those first few out. There were. I, I find it's almost like a replace. Oh, sorry, go on. That's what I've heard. It's like replacements, right? Yeah, it's like replacements with a metal vibe. Interesting. Okay. It's it's cool. It works. It, it definitely, uh, you know, like Iris obviously worked out really well for them. I'm sure they have no regrets. But I, I think if they stayed on that path, it could have gotten interesting in a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is that? That's the yeah. Who? That's the. I don't know. I do want to see that alternate timeline and see like yeah. <laughs> Hillary Clinton would be on her third term right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Terror would be opening for them and filling stadiums. <laughs> it would be a glorious time. Did was were there any semblances like did you ever hear Buffalo referred to as Tuffalo? I did hear that a couple times, yeah. Mm-hmm. That cuz there was always there was always like a real hard vibe in the city of Buffalo when it came to shows. Like I remember Dystopia played Toronto once and there were a bunch of crusties there, and then a bunch of Buffalo kids were up here and just ended up beating the shit out of the crusties when the crusties got out of line. <laughs> oh boy! How? There's, there, yeah, there, we're not at all like that. Yeah, some of us are are, are softies though. Um, there's a few soft softies. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, everyone gets soft around the middle section with all that mighty taco. Um, yeah, super mighty burrito, extra sour cream, extra hot sauce. That was my that was my order back in the day. I could eat five of those and feel feel just fine. I wish I wish my metabolism was still that of a, a frog. But. <laughs> I love that place. I like I like I took my family there. We did a road trip, and then we were driving back through Buffalo, <laughs> and I brought my kids and my wife there, and I I expected them to be really impressed with it, like I was. And they were really disappointed. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of all right. I, I mean, I feel like I'm ragging on Buffalo institutions like the Mighty Taco, but I mean, I, I love them. I had this place for them in my heart, but it is kind of like hospital tacos, you know? Come on, I would put a Mighty Taco versus a real taco, any taco in Mexico, any day. <laughs> Well, we're we're from yeah, the Oaxaca, Oaxaca. Doesn't have shit on Mighty Taco. <laughs> it really is. it does hit the spot at the right time though. Oh yeah, like it, it. I I anytime I go there, I buy the bottles of the sauce and bring it back here. Like I, I do. It does. It's like Pizza Hut. It's not quite pizza, but it does scratch a certain itch. Yes. So, what was the comedy scene like in Buffalo? Like, like obviously in Ithaca. You know, you're, there's a lot more comedy stuff happening around the university. But like, was there a lot of stand-up stuff happening? Were there people kind of doing comedy things? Like, I remember my my limited knowledge of Buffalo comedy is those beatnik people that used to be on late at night mm-hmm. um, in between the movies. I don't remember. That might have been before our time when we wanted to do stand. When we started to do stand-up in Buffalo, there was a Tuesday night show at Nietzsche's. I don't know if uh, it's on Allen Street, and they had like a real audience that came out, which is like kind of set a, a fake expectation for when we would go to New York, and it's all comics in the audience. But 
it was nice. It was all 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 comedians, and they had a real audience, and or like thirty comedians go up and. Uh, yeah, there's uh, one comic who kind of put together the scene and held it together, Chris and Becker, at the time period, and um, it was neat. Uh, who is and our we got that's how we met Matt Wayne, who is uh, in New York now. I think the Josh Potter was doing it as well, but um, yeah, it was just it's uh, it's kind of like uh, I don't know. It's a it's a kind of a well known Buffalo bar with a good stage in the back, and we went up. I remember Dan got put up last that night, and then the guy who went before him was like, everybody knows everybody who's doing comedy in Buffalo at the time, and the guy was like, Dan Licata, who's Dan Licata? Who the hell is Dan Licata? Yeah, it was my first. I think it was my first time like ever. So yeah, it was. That was Matt Wayne, actually. <laughs> when that was, when that was a good friend, but uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty traumatizing. And then I think I did uh, some. I mean, my thank God, my uh, comedic uh, instincts have matured over time. Not that much, but I think I was doing like jokes about like Terry Shivo or something that was like very edgy. It's something I was ne- obviously never nowadays, and it was just like. Of course, an 18-year-old who's got like, you know, freshly graduated high school is going to bomb in front of an audience. <laughs> 30-year-olds talking about their real life. You know what I mean? Like, but yeah, there was uh, yeah, there was one probably the funniest thing that we saw in Buffalo. I, in my opinion, was when there was this one comedian named Carlisle. I hope I, I hope she does. So this is not that bad a story, but she just, we did a show on like one of the open mics and her parents came out and everybody before they said their set said, oh, Carl's parents are here. She's not going to do her dick suck jokes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then Carl still came out and did her dick suck jokes in front of her parents. Well, the fact that they just kept referring to them as Carl's dick suck jokes <laughs> was <Yeah>. so funny. <laughs> oh. Supportive parents. Yeah. And then it was just funny that she was known for her dick suck jokes. And also, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Have you heard of the performance artist Kemba Kemba Fowler? Um, no. She was in that that uh, film Sewing Circle where she has her vagina sewn up. <laughs> I miss that. It's, it is a very very intense piece of performance art. But when she was on the show, she said her dad came to see her perform a couple times, and I'm just like, that is a very supportive parent. A very holy. Sh- she did it more than once. I don't know if she she didn't I don't know if she did sewing circle live ever. I don't think she did, but she would oh. also do stuff where her one of her big pieces was uh she, uh she she invented this stuff called her her sort of art theory was availableism where you use what's ever available to you yeah. to create your art. Sure. Whatever he saw would have been very eye-opening and very a lot of respect for that for that dad as a parent. I think like to support your kid through that <laughs> stuff, like, you know, dick suck jokes to 
eggs on being smashed on your genitals like that takes a a love that uh, i hope i have yeah unconditionally for my kids always (laughs) yeah well it definitely is it's interesting i don't know that uh that reminds me of two buffalo art stories i'm sorry but almost yeah one time there's a my parents came back from our exhibit at I think it was a place called Hall Walls, which is a like a an old building that they turned into art gallery. But they brought me the brochure, and I I'll never forget it. There's this woman who used a butt plug to not to prevent herself from shitting for an entire month, and then she ate all the right things and walked down an entire bowling alley lane and. Did a, a number two all the way down the bowling alley, and it came out in one in one piece. And, oh my god! And yeah, so that's that's kind of that reminds. This feels like buff, a little bit of like Buffalo art at the time. And then there was another one. I was I did an internship in high school at this uh, film place called Squeaky Wheel, which was like a community uh, a film center and. Um, at my job, they had a public access show, and my job was to go through all the DV tapes and try and sift through like what might be good for the public access show. And like at seventeen, like a lot of it was a little bit too much for me. But you get all sorts of stuff. And then there was this one. I remember it was just there's a DV tape that was labeled uh, a title to follow. I put it in the player and I watched it and it's just a woman's legs in the bathtub and you see a coat hanger go in and then blood come out. And then it was only like a minute and a half. And then it was the title of it, which was the title of the fall was baby's first Christmas. Holy <laughs> shit. So you saw, I don't know. I didn't think about the, I don't know. I never tried to link it. But these were some of the, some of the art I saw in Buffalo. So you did get my submission after. (laughs) (laughs) You shaved your legs. (laughs) But so, yeah, talk about, yeah, a lot of feminist art going on in Buffalo and cool. I don't know. All interesting stuff. Man, have you heard of this one guy? I forget his name, but he would do this type of performance art that was like clearly just for him. And he would like, he would go to like um, really like rich neighborhoods on the weekends and see like if someone was hosting like a dinner party and he would wear like a suit and he would just like walk into the dinner party like slowly throughout the course of the night, like start to like annoy everyone at the party. And then he had like essentially like not a full suicide vest on, but he had this like vest on and he would like yank it and it would create a big explosion and then he would just run away into the night. I forget this guy's name, but um Joe Coleman. Yes, that's it. Yeah, that's the guy. Yep. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite artists ever. His his paintings are incredible. He does these paintings with horse hairs. But he he actually Kembra Fowler and him uh did many performances together. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He he was actually in a punk band way back in the day that played CBGBs. They opened for the Dead Boys and stuff called the Steel Tips. And 
the band was him lighting himself on fire and exploding in the audience. (laughs) Then there was a singer, and then the backup singer was this giant Hells Angels biker dude, and then a little girl. I think she was like a legit little girl. She might have been just a very young-looking woman with braces on and a Catholic schoolgirl uniform. Oh my God. <laughs> the the sounds great, actually. I, I'll oh. send you guys a link to the video. It is one of the greatest music, like not quite the endless trail of shit level of performance art, which might be the fa- my favorite piece of art I've ever heard about, <laughs> let alone seen. But it, it is pretty up there. <laughs> I don't know. I should look up who that artist was. It is a pretty incredible feat. Oh yeah. Like not pooing for a couple days for me is a stretch, but like to do that in like respect, like that is like, you're, you, like Dan, you said earlier, jackass. And I'm, I'm like one of the people that really does believe that jackass is like performance art brought to yeah. the masses. And it's, you know, but, but this, this is, this is like inspiring me on, on new le- levels of where you can take your body and what you can do with your body to entertain people. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could quickly tell this. I mean, this seems like a good segue to a quick story about uh, about Jackass and how it inspired me. When I was uh, when I was fifteen, I uh, jumped off a twenty five foot building with an umbrella while my friend videotaped it, and uh, not me. Yeah, not Joe. Uh, <laughs> well, Joe was the first. Joe was the first guy to visit me in the hospital. I remember. I like woke up out of woke up from a morphine nap and Joe was just sitting there and you were just like, what happened? And I was like, sorry, man. I had to, had to, had to put my, put my stunt reel together. But, um, but speaking of, <laughs> but they, they gave me like intravenous morphine. Uh, I was 15. So, um, you know, uh, the perfect age, but they gave me intravenous morphine, which if you ever have the opportunity to do it, it's, it's really incredible. I had a 30 minute conversation with a nurse about pimp my ride. And I was brought to tears <laughs> at one point. It was like really the best high I've ever had, but it, it blocks you. I mean, I think most opiates like make you really constipated. So I didn't, I didn't shit for probably I want to say eight or nine days just because of the opiates they had me oh, on. And when I did, it was like a brick. I mean, and I, <laughs> uh, it probably, I don't know. I didn't do, I, I wasn't able to do it in a long line like the, like that, like that woman. But I'm, I'm curious how long I could have, how far down the bowling alley I could have got with it. That was the, <laughs> that was the other amazing thing. She, she, to make sure that it didn't break, she squatted and walked the, the entire bowling alley. So she had to be very methodical about how she moved and everything. So it was like, yeah, there's, there's just that element of skill too. Yeah. There, there that's the thing. It's like a David Blaine magic trick. <laughs> What's she doing up there? Well, if he was in the, or he was in that water bubble for like three days, you'd think he never did the number two that whole time. Did he? No, he, there were no floaters. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little, little vacuum that sucked it up. But if by the end of the three days, water's completely brown. That <laughs> <laughs> made it more impressive, honestly. Uh, <laughs> 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 you 
know, going back to the jackass thing, that's, I guess, the that was the big fear the whole time, right? Like, that people were going to be inspired to do their own stunt things. And, I, and you know, like, they obviously, that they took the episode off where they light themselves on fire. I think it was that first nice. episode. And, but eventually, MTV started taking submission tapes from kids. <laughs> yeah, there was, like, a, a short-lived submit-your-own-jackass-crew tape mtv and they would show <laughs> these tapes really i didn't know that well i'm saying dan it's not all for naught like you should put that tape out <laughs> god somehow i missed that because i would have been i would have been perfect for that but uh i guess with the wow <laughs> story uh and again sorry i don't mean to... <laughs> uh go so deep in this, but the police confiscated the tape because I was technically trespassing and on church property. And I, I never followed up about it because I was like, you know, in, in a wheelchair for 14 years. Holy. But I met it. I met a girl a few years later at like a free concert downtown. And she was like, you were that kid that jumped off Christ the King church. Right. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, this is really crazy, but my brother was in this like scared straight type program <laughs> and they made all the kids watch the tape. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but that's insane. I, yeah, I I don't know how true it was, but I mean I think you got we, we gotta contact them and see if we get the tape back. But there's no way that the there is somebody who put that in the trash. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's somewhere at the Amherst Police Department. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's. If anyone from the Amherst Police Department is listening right now, <laughs> uh, first of all, ACAB. Second of all, please let me have the tape back. <laughs> well, that's our second highest demographic of listeners. So uh, hopefully, we get someone oh, reaching shit. out with that tape. That—that <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is wild, and and. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But now we're like looking at this generation of people like like your you know yourself or like people that grew up with that as like an influence and maybe not doing that sort of level of commitment to it but it's interesting how i think it just changed the way young people look at the world like just the the level of just laissez-faire with our bodies and you know, it's interesting because they see the influence showing up in wrestling with wrestlers like Darby Allen now. And, you know, like there's just a it, it's a it's interesting to look how it changed the way we live our lives. Yeah, I would, I would love to read a, uh, uh, a college thesis uh, paper about about how it's influenced society. But um I'm sure some. I'm sure someone's written their college thesis about jackass. I'm sure it's happened. So, going to New York, what was it like arriving there, having been in Buffalo, where there is this sort of scene, like you're saying, Joe, like where everyone knew everybody. Going to New York, where it is, 
I imagine hyper competitive on a certain level for comedy. Um, a little bit. I mean, yeah, everybody. I'm trying to think. I don't know. Buffalo, yeah, it was nice. And everybody, once you kind of won them over by showing them you were serious about it, they were uh, nice. And uh, yeah, it was it's a, it was a cool scene. But uh, yeah, coming to New York, I don't know. It was like, uh, yeah, it was intimidating. There was, at the time that I started, there was uh, kind of like, uh, a kind of a crew that would sit in the back and if uh, your jokes weren't good uh, you get made fun of and they would even go on stage and make fun of you <laughs> about your joke I don't want to name names and I know that they certain people feel bad about it in retrospect but it was kind of like a, yeah do, do or die type of experience at certain open mics but in the long run, I think it almost helped make uh, make make me better in terms of just making sure that you know I made sure that the stuff I was going on stage with was was worth sharing. And um, yeah, it was it was filled with a lot of nice people, a lot of whom are my close friends today. Um, so it, it was neat, but it was it was uh, kind of competitive. I don't know. But yeah, again, I think that that that's good. It was competitive and friendly at the same time. It was just very big, and I was kind of like, um, uh, I don't know, uh, kind of yeah. Just it took a, a minute to figure out how the scene worked too. Like I didn't know there was one show that was like a very good show, and right when I moved, I went up to somebody and I was asked to. Uh, can I go up tonight? And they said, no, uh, he was polite about it. He was like, no, that's not how this works. But I think he was a little bit taken aback that I would just outright ask to do the show that night. Yeah. But I didn't know. I had no idea at the time how it worked. But yeah, it was, it was good. And I miss it. A lot of the, the, the doing a lot of the shows, they were in Manhattan at the time, which was nice to feel like you were going into the big city and doing the show. And then um, there's also like a lot of 11 p.m. mics that I remember doing where also like anybody could walk in off the street and just do time. And I don't, I don't go to as many open mics, but even later on when I was going open mics, they kind of died out a little bit, but I love the fact that like, anybody could walk off in off the street at 11 p.m. you know like cab drivers anybody who saw a sign and just wanted to do stand-up and you could see them perform and you'd seen some real weird stuff but it was that was kind of the fun of it and made you feel okay about staying up till uh, 1 a.m. on a weeknight to do to do stand-up yeah like I, I love the uh the idea that even when it's bad it's amazing like i i've i've went to one sort of like open mic night thing at the comedy store yeah in la and it was it was like the the worst comics that got up were sometimes like the most interesting things like wow this guy finds this funny that's awesome yes yeah. it's, it's the unpredictability of not 
being able to know what somebody is going to say. Like when people get good at comedy, it's almost easier to guess what's coming next. When it's somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, they may share something that, that would, you know, you would never share if you know what you're doing up there or, you know, just not be as guarded on stage. It's, in, it's incredible to hear those little the life details or what they think is funny. And yeah, that's what, uh, yeah, that was a very special part of doing open mics. Some of the hardest I've ever laughed is like people, people who would wander into, into open mics. I would see them once they would absolutely destroy me and then I would never see them again. And it, like, there's something really special about that. You know? Yeah. Like there's no other art form that has, like these sort of elements that comedy has where you're saying like you could have someone just walking off the street like you're not going to just walk into a, a venue with a guitar having never played it and and walk on stage and be like look at this but like people will do that with comedy like i've seen people do that with comedy and i haven't gone to nearly <laughs> as many shows as you guys have does that ever happen at I don't know shows you've done like early on where it's kind of a i don't know more of a crapshoot well, I remember the first show I ever played in my band. I, it was like one of the worst shows any band has ever played. And I was so <laughs> bummed out. And then I heard this cover of uh, Bro Him by Pennywise that sounded like people were playing in three separate rooms at the same time, trying to like match each other. Uh -huh. And uh, it, it was it's the bass player of my band now, Sandy's first band. And Sandy was great. She was she was killing it in her parts. The bass part was the only part that was that was being hit. But we went on stage at one point because the drummer broke his pedal and we wanted to help out. And or our drummer went on stage, sorry, and wanted to help him out. And he's like, <laughs> "The drummer's pedal is made out of chopsticks, made out of cardboard, and duct tape. It's not a real pedal." That's, <laughs> that's incredible. That's man. amazing. Yeah, that's like that's the art right that's when it's like an art form when someone's going up there and just like living in their i guess truth or they're just they just want to express themselves so badly that they're not going to go through any of the rigmarole by like learning an instrument or at least getting proper equipment <laughs> yeah <laughs> what, what was your take on it dan when you got to new york yeah i mean pretty similar to joe joe moved there like about a year before me um and so he, he I think we had him kind of like steer me in the right direction a little bit. But yeah, it was super intimidating. I remember like one of the first open mics I ever did, you know, like, you know, I was 21 years old and, you know, just figuring it out. And, uh, but I guess they could, they could smell the, uh, they could smell fresh meat. And, uh, the, the guy that went up on stage after me, he just goes, Hey, um, what was your name? And I was like, uh, oh, I'm Dan. And he goes, uh, hey, Dan, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Just everyone everyone laughed. And I was like, you know, is this what it's going to be like? Because this is like fucking getting hazed in a fraternity. But uh, uh, eventually, you know, you, you do it a little longer. I think they probably people back then would do that to weed out people who weren't like really passionate about it. And then you stick around long enough then you sort of earn their respect but nowadays i feel like everyone's a lot friendlier i think like mm. um yeah i guess like in comedy like 
you know, like I always say, like lead singers, it takes a special kind of mental damage to be a lead singer. Like where you, you have no instrument. You, your instrument is your ego, and that's what you're playing at all times, and that leads you to become a very difficult human being to be around. And I imagine in comedy, it's kind of the same way in stand-up, right? Because like you're just up there by yourself. Like you obviously have your material, but it's not like you can retreat into an instrument like a guitar player or a drummer can. Like you're you're committed to this crowd the whole time. They're with you for this death ride. That's true. But yeah, I was yeah, that's true. But also uh, you can't if you can't retreat into an instrument, but in the same way, like one of the reasons why it was worthwhile to stick around the open mics is that every once in a while somebody would have a breakdown (laughs) (laughs) and uh, yeah it wasn't it wasn't always fun but like i don't know it was a real uh, i guess i don't want to say tree tone but it was kind of like a real moment in a way that like I don't know. It's never, it could be replicated, but to see somebody be like, you know, just have a moment where they have, you know, three minutes on stage and then that three minutes, a joke fails. And then they have a crisis of what am I doing in New York? And all they try and explain that to the audience and it might come out in like yelling at the audience or, or getting upset at themselves and i don't know it feels like a lot of people we started doing open mics with we do have a a fairly close bond with even if we don't see them all the time just because we've kind of experienced uh, a lot of them having those moments us included where you know you can't hide behind the jokes but just the whatever kind of thing that's inside of you at the moment comes out in a very real way at uh you know 11 p.m on a tuesday night and everybody sees it and they know they understand that's what you're going through because you don't have a lot of money and you got a lot of roommates and it's a pain in the ass (laughs) yeah yeah and i think like that's the worst feeling i think we're we've got to the point where We've done it long enough. We have a few like tricks up our, our sleeves. If it's going like really poorly, we can like usually pull ourselves out of it. But yeah, I mean, I remember early on we haven't like, developed those chops yet. I think this was very early on. I obviously don't do this anymore. But one time I uh, I huffed computer duster on stage very early on. Not one time. You did it a lot. Well. <laughs> <laughs> You know, in my head, in my head. So the bit would be like, you know, I would have it in my pocket, in my jacket pocket. I'd be like, man, I've been really stressed out lately. And then I would pull it out, actually huff it, and then I think start yelling about helicopters or something. Uh, and then, like, you know, it la- it's like a dirty whippet. It lasts for like 30 seconds, and then you're back to normal. And, I would, and then I would snap it back into reality and be like, hey, you guys ever been to Starbucks? They're always fucking up your name on the cup. And, uh, I think one time it went so everyone was so scared and shocked. But in my head, I was like, "They're all gonna love this." I and mean, everyone was so scared and shocked that it was like, uh, "I think it, uh, I think it ruined the entire show." If I'm not mistaken, <laughs> I don't think it ever recovered after that moment. Uh, it's it's amazing how you see that jackass influence on you the whole way through. You know, that's that's some Stevo, deep Stevo that's found his way into your comedy yeah 
Yeah, pre pre sobriety Steve-O uh, vibes for sure. But there, that's also you get those real moments. No, I was just going to say, like, you get those kind of real moments on that show, too, when you see them either succeed and everybody's really excited, or when you see them in a lot of pain, you get kind of interesting moments where, like, real real personality comes out and like that's why you want to watch a movie or watch somebody on stage or that's what you hope for in a performance and i think like i don't know you saw uh, yeah the guys on jackass go through a lot of stuff and that was uh, part of what made it interesting and also yeah comedy is not supposed to be comfortable you know, I don't believe that. <laughs> that's what all the greats say, dude. <laughs> but there, I, 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 but there is like this idea that there is no bad art because you know what you wanted to see is something that's amazing, like transcendently good, or something that's so terrible that either way you leave affected. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Nobody wants to see a medium thing yeah that's why nickelback sucks because it's just like medium music <laughs> I'm, their parents I'm, turned off jackass well, you gotta hear their first two albums don't they man it's <laughs> like <laughs> megadeth <laughs> all right then you sold me i gotta check out those two records but. <laughs> I'm not, there's a couple bands that I'm not on board for the critical reassessment of, like, uh, like Limp Bizkit and, and Nickelback, I think are the two that I'm just going to ride till the end being like, no, 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 that's, there is a line. Is there, is there not even one Limp Bizkit song you could, you could, uh, you could say, all right, I'll give them that one. You're like across no. the board, like no. across the board. Okay. I, I, I'll ride for a couple corn songs, but I think that's the thing. I'm like slightly older than you guys. Do you guys have uh empathy for the biscuit um i will personally i i, I think uh brick stuff holds up <laughs> <laughs> i heard i i re-listened to it recently and i was definitely like pacing pacing across my living room i was like oh yeah this this still gets me fired up like a like a, a red bull but um <laughs> I don't know if that's again. I can't separate the uh, nostalgia from like you know fifth grade and uh, maybe, maybe it's probably ninety percent nostalgia. Though. Yeah, there's there's that there's that part of you that uh, you know it takes you back to a certain time and place, and I think we all have those bands, but uh, they were the band. And, and it's funny. Have you watched that Woodstock documentary that came out? I haven't, but we were, we were talking about it the other day. Uh, I haven't watched it though. No, no. Just our our tour managers told us that the the conclusion of it was that they tried to link Limp Biscuit and the people who got out of control at Woodstock to January sixth. That doesn't seem like a a good. That's a stretch. That's a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I think we we established right. It was all Mr. Show and Iced Earth dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Like I didn't see anyone from List Biscuit there. Um, I want to see Fred Durst testify at the January sixth. Oh man, he he seems like he's one of the rare cases of someone who got cooler. Yeah, I mean he's like directed 
feature films and it's it's kind of nuts uh i met him all right well fuck it kind of ruins the punchline but i guess i'll tell you a quick story i used to work at a used to be a bellhop at a hotel and i only fully freaked out one day at work there was like it was pouring rain and this was like pre-lift and uber so it would rain in new york you know cabs were impossible to find so like all these rich people are wanting me to get them cabs there's none to be had so, like, finally, I see one that's got its light on. He pulls up in front of me. I go to open the door, and the cabbie starts, like, freaking out on me. He was like, he's like, you fucking idiot. I'm off duty. I was like, then don't stop right in front of me. It's, like, fucking misleading. And we started screaming at each other. And then I turn around to walk away, and standing five feet away from me, watching the whole interaction, was none other than Fred Durst. So, um, uh, if I was a little sharper, I would have gone up to him and said, sorry, man. It's just one of those days, but I, I thought of that <laughs> line about five minutes too late. <laughs> well, you know that <laughs> it's it's nice to know that he he watched. You know, he he's there supporting you by by observing. I yeah, guess. it was kind of like his version of us watching a comedian meltdown. He was like, "I'm watching, <laughs> I'm watching this guy have a real, a real ass moment." Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna go watch a woman do a shit down a bowling alley later on, but this is my opening act. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that's come up on this show time and time again when people are like either comedians or professional wrestlers is the fact that at a certain point, your job kind of is happening at the same time as these shows would be happening, and you kind of have to choose are you gonna be a person who goes to concerts or you're going to be a person that follows your craft. And did you guys ever find yourself having to make that choice? Like at a certain point where like music had to kind of take a backseat and comedy became the focus in terms of like what you had to do every night. Definitely. Like it was a start. I felt the number of times it felt bad that I get to see any shows for a while because, you know, just had to do stand up in the evenings, but it became like a nice, uh, eventually we got good enough that um, bands would even think of to have us on their their lineups or to host something, which, you know, sometimes went good, sometimes went bad. But when you're doing that, you get to at least watch the show or, you know, if you're, you get to watch three bands in a night if you, if you host the show. So it's kind of like it came back around and, yeah, there were bands that were our friends like the uh, the band big ups had us at uh, dan at a couple shows and me at one and uh that was a treat to be part of the show and that energy and kind of it was different than the regular stand-up show but it was very fun to do like the the, the shows with both music and comedy on them who was the worst crowd for doing comedy in front of in terms of playing with a band mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, the tough thing is, I think people are conditioned, like, you know, band ends, I can talk to my friend now, go get a drink at the bar, and then if you're trying to do, like, actual jokes while the band is, like, breaking down their gear behind you, and everyone's talking, and you're just, like, shouting into a void, it's like, you know, you feel so helpless, and that, that, that can be rough, but sometimes... I mean, we. I guess, like you said, it got to the point where, like, people knew that we were hosting and were like kind of coming to see us as much as the bands maybe uh, 
maybe not quite as much, but um, they would at least listen at a certain point. So, you know, mm. yeah. an audience that listens is always preferable. They have been good. I don't know. We haven't had too many. So like, sometimes they tune out or be hard to win over. But like, most of the music audiences are, at least in the bands we perform with, are pretty respectful of art in general and comedy. They like they like comedy, so it's it hasn't been brutal. I would say the it's not music, but the worst that I remember was we hosted a burlesque show together and <laughs> and we had a bit where we, we I don't even remember the bit but Dan said like just ask the DJ can you please play any song in the background so uh, we were doing our bit I think you. I remember basketball being involved well, we said that we were we said that we were trying to get into burlesque and we had different characters that we were doing and then um I think I said I'm Mr. Granola Bar Man and I just threw granola bars at the crowd and then you said I'm I'm basketball man and you just came out with a basketball or something. Okay, yeah, but we were going back and forth they we to great grabbing like um props. And and then coming back out, and Dan and I were changing. We would each take a turn to this upbeat music, and we just told the the, the DJ of the night, you know, play whatever song you've got. It doesn't matter to us too much. But what he ended up playing was the next next burlesque dancers' music, and so Dan and I were going backstage to get the granola bars or a basketball or a wig. And kind of just making uh, doing jokes about the whole thing, and there's it turned out that he was playing the 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 burlesque dancer that was following us his song, and I we didn't know at the time, but they're very you know she had prepared the whole dance to the song, the specific song, and the, she was upset that we were kind of like spoiling the song and making a mockery of it. So she was standing backstage without a top on and just kind of like uh, pasties and just like like <laughs> so upset at both of us that we go back to grab a basketball and, and kind of like shrug and be like, sorry, 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 I don't know. <laughs> and she was, I think the song was even like for her mother or something. I don't remember. I don't remember. But we were like, yeah, it was like, oh God, we felt so bad but it's like we're, we're telling him to change the song and he's refusing to change the song oh yeah from the stage we'd be like hey we'd be like change the song like anything anything other than this song and he'd just keep playing this song and i don't know man i don't know how we got booked for that that was i don't understand burlesque personally it's like not entertaining to me um it's just like not I, they try to be funny but it's not funny and then they Try to be sexy, but it's like not that sexy. It's the, the way I compare it is like if you went to a skate park and a guy was just standing on a plank of like a two by four, it's like <laughs> you're almost doing something cool, dude. You're just like almost there. <laughs> oh. And it's like if they would hurt, if they hurt themselves, jackass style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If this person came out with the pasties on and then jumped off the roof of the building, I would be, I would be burlesque's biggest supporter. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, the it's funny. Chris Gethard was on, and he said that the worst crowd he ever played for was a Bouncing Souls crowd, which oh, wow was not into his comedy apparently that night. Because <laughs> yeah, it's but... well, I think it's audiences for music, especially punk music, are conditioned to be cynical and not give you yeah. anything. And I imagine, like you know, once again, like what doing on my little lead singer jokes on stage sometimes it's just like holy god is this a hard room and i could only imagine if you went up there and you didn't have a chance to just go into a loud song to get away from the the jokes for a minute wow even your own fans sometimes i i'm i'm not wow. i'm not the funniest like i've definitely had i've been that breakdown on open mic night guy on fucked up stages before too so <laughs> with fucked up you never know what you're gonna get it's a real mixed bag Sure. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I don't know. Also, sometimes it's as simple as people come out to see one thing, and if they see another thing, it's just not what they want to see. They can't wrap their heads around something different if they're expecting one thing. Um, given that it's Twitter's demise tonight, like apparently Twitter might go down tonight forever. I people are saying. Um, I gotta ask you, Dan. Uh. And I'm sure you have to tell the story all the time, but what was it like working with the one one of the great comedy minds of our time, Elon <laughs> Musk? Oh wow, yeah. So I do. I was it's embarrassing to admit, but I did write for Saturday Night Live for two years, and um, I was there for the Elon Musk episode, and um, I did. I I think I was the only one who kind of like pranked him a little bit at the table reading. Like, I, I forget exactly what I said, but I made him say something to the effect of, like, uh, hi, I'm singer-songwriter Elon Musk. This might come as a surprise, but uh, I'm anti-porn. Uh, I guess it's because when you're as smart as me, you be thinking of stuff they can't film. And then I made him do the Wakanda Forever <laughs> And just watching him do that at the table read was, like, one of the most surreal and one of the most proudest moments of my life. They should have aired that. That would have been the table read for would have been the funniest thing to see. I you also said I believe I'm anti-porn but pro masturbation. Ah yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it I've heard and it's funny, like I was talking about someone completely disconnected uh from thinking about us being on the conversation today about how that and being a wrestler in the WWE under Vince McMahon, hmm. like the two most stressful entertainment jobs you have because they're both run by these, I don't know what you describe them as, but like these people that are just completely controlling of this product and don't really answer to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. The way I describe, describe it is, um, it's like high school and, and uh, like I was the class clown in high school and I just wanted to make all the other kids laugh. But at SNL, it doesn't matter if you make the other kids laugh. You have to make the teachers and the principal laugh. And yes. yes, the principal is uh, in his late 70s. <laughs> and, uh, but now Vince McMahon was forced to retire, right? He was. He was finally, it all caught up with him. Like things that wrestling fans have talked about for years but right. finally kind of came public enough that I, I he had to 
well, he, he, it did kind of crumble under the weight of it. He still owns the company, and so he's still yeah. turning a profit off everything. But <laughs> he, he's just oh. not allowed to be around the wrestlers anymore. That's good. It's safer. It's probably safer for everybody uh, at this yeah. point. So I don't know. Yeah, you. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The the uh, it's time for I don't know. Not not only yeah. Mm, well, <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe it's time for the show to be retired. And everybody, <laughs> yeah, before you get a chance to, oh man, how great would it be Saturday Night Live with your musical guest, Fucked Up, and your host, Joe Para. Come on, we got to make it happen before the show ends. Let's make a blood pack right here, right now, guys. Joe, <laughs> if you get on as a host, you're having fucked up, right? You got to promise. I promise. And then right off the bat, we'll say, this is it. This is the final episode. <laughs> Thank you for having us. It's been great NBC time for the show. This is, this is the final show. And then, and then I don't know what song you would, what is the song you would play for the final I, episode of SNL? I think break stuff by Limp Bizkit. <laughs> That's, That's the one. And I, and I, and I tear up a picture of Lorne. Like uh, Sinead O'Connor style <laughs> during the performance, <laughs> just like start destroying the studio, just go nuts, just give, well, like that's when Dan Aykroyd they got Dan Aykroyd back in the nineties to host. He got the tragically hip on. Thank right? you. That's, that's good Canadian. That's Canadian sticking together. Yeah, that, but that's why I'm like, like if you got to host that show, could you like, would you have sway over who the musical guests are? Like, and if that's the case. Why haven't any of these people had fucked up on yet? I think it's all, it, and maybe maybe in the nineties it was that way, but like as it as it is now, it's it's a different it's, beast. Yeah, yeah. So, Lord, the only rule there, Lauren said you could do whatever you want, but just you can't have fucked up on it. Musical guest. Well, they would ask. I mean, they would ask us from time to time, like. They, they, were, they would send us an email and be like, hey, if you have any suggestions for hosts or musical guests, let us know. And I would always, for hosts, I'd be like, Rachel Dole's all. <laughs> and then I would just list, like, you know, a bunch of, like, the craziest bands I could think of, knowing that it, they would never happen, but some, like, you know, 40-year-old the professional white woman would at least have to read my email with all these crazy bands. Well, I think... I think we're this year we're probably gonna get a turnstile episode, right? Like that seems to be where it's going. I would say that that's sure. pretty likely. That's which cool. will be which will be like the first hardcore band on there uh, since Fear. Since yeah. Fear, yeah. And I guess Rage is a little bit like, you know, ex hardcore dudes and they certainly fuck shit up apparently, so it counts. That's cool. I just saw that they canceled their show in Buffalo this weekend. They were supposed to play Town Ballroom, but they, they called it off because of this upcoming snowstorm. They were getting 70 inches of snow in Buffalo this weekend. They, what? Yeah. They had to so move they, the Bills game to Detroit. It's like, yeah. And so they canceled Yeah, they canceled the Bills game and Turnstile. Oh, my gosh. Well, I wonder what people are more heartbroken over in Buffalo. <laughs> Probably the, probably the Bills. Probably the Bills. <laughs> I think it's fairly safe to say it's probably the Bills. It's not like if it was West Side Gun or the Bills, that's a little more debatable. Yeah. yeah. Or if they had to cancel Mighty Taco, that would be, people would be rioting. 
Oh, yeah. man, they would be looting the mayor of Byron Brown's house as we speak. What's it? What's the other place that stakeout thing? Jim's stakeout or oh, oh, Jim's Jim's stakeout? Yeah, yeah. That's um, a good spot. Chicken, chicken finger subs and uh, <laughs> yes. What is it? The the stinger sub? Do you remember that one? Isn't it like a chicken finger? It's like got chicken chicken fingers and steak on it. I believe they call it a stinger sub. So. That is if you're back in Buffalo, you gotta try it. Oh, so we ate every every day at Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> at our, our school cafeteria had stinger Monday. <laughs> it's it's the it's the city meal. It's like the official meal of the city, I guess, the stinger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh guys, this has been unbelievable. And I wanna keep talking to you all night, but I think you guys have to go. And uh, watch this Woodstock documentary at some point. But uh, anytime I, both of you, either of you want to come back on this show, you know that this door is perpetually open for you. Thanks so much. Yeah, no, this has been fun. I've got to look up some of those artists we talked about. Yeah, Damien, this has been so fun, man. Thank you, Joe and Dan, for coming on the show. And Mighty Taco, reach out for that sponsorship thing because that would be a. I think we put you over pretty huge in that episode. Maybe, maybe, maybe not put you over, but but there were some mentions. Uh, they are, as I said, I think both going on tour, but certainly Joe is going on tour and Dan's got dates coming up. So follow them both on social media. Very funny people, and uh, they went back for part twos. Speaking about being back, this was a bit of a surprise episode because I announced the next episode at the end of the last episode, but I, I had to throw this one in to get in time for those tour dates that are coming up. As I said last week, coming up on the next episode from one of my favorite bands of all time, Bobby from 16 will be here. And this is a fun conversation about a band that I have loved for God, <laughs> like a quarter of a century, but uh, knew virtually nothing about. And this is a fun way for me to kind of find out some stuff about this band that I love so much. And, and one of my records of the year, the new 16 record was another record that I thought was one of my favorite records that I was listening to a lot last year. I didn't really do like my favorite records. Chris O'Toole does his favorite records of the year and really puts a lot of work into it. Chris O'Toole from footnotes. So hopefully it lets me put that over and post it other places because, uh, yeah, it's always a cool thing to look at. All right. That is it. For the show, remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues of Indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights. And stop hating violence towards people of different races and different faiths. Because at the end of the day, what we're talking about, this isn't politics. It's just basic human rights shit. People deserve to live free from hate and violence. So if there's organizations that are doing positive shit, positive shit, positive things in this world that you think you can get behind. Uh, see what you can do, you know, get involved, help change the world. Uh, to that, I would also add that, uh, the, what a person chooses to do with their reproductive system is also a basic human right. So that needs to be protected because they're coming for that shit. Um, in Canada and you certainly see it in America, see it all over the place. And so, once again, get involved. Speaking of getting involved, Punk and Hardcore 
it does better with your participation. So go out there, start a band, start a fanzine, start making flyers. Fuck flyers. That's like a, a real lost art that is coming back when you see people put up these awesome things. Get, you know, just do something. Speaking of doing something, try meditating because I didn't believe in it. And now I kind of do. And well, now I do. And because it, it does work, your, your brain needs to rest and it feels good to do it. It's like going to the gym. You don't want to do it. But then once you do it, you're like, fuck, I guess, I guess I should be doing this more often. Uh, for me, maybe for you, it'll just take to it naturally and you're going to love it. But it's worth trying. I'm not the first person to say this, but of course, but. Sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them. And I've seen that shit do miracles. I have with my own eyes. Uh, And that is it for me. Thank you. Stay safe. And I'll see you on the next episode.